Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast. This is Rick Thomas, and I'm so glad that you are listening. This is episode 108. The name of the podcast is The Critical Call on Men to Submit. I want to talk about submission today, but I want to take it in a different direction. Submission is a hot-button word in Christianity, and as soon as you mention submission, in fact, you can mention it in our culture too, and it would be a hot-button issue. We struggle with submission for various reasons, but within Christianity, it is problematic, and so when I mention submission, in fact, it would be interesting. I say the word submission, what comes to your mind? What do you think about? How your father treated you? How your husband is treating you? How your wife does not submit? How your children are not submitting? How you were abused, whether it was in the family or in the church. Submission is a big deal, and it is very difficult for a lot of people to submit. And that's why I think it's it's not wise to just mandate submission, saying you should submit without understanding the individual that you are talking to. Yes, no question, we are called to submit, but because of the active doctrine of sin that has been in our lives, all of our lives, some of us, quite frankly, just got messed up. And submission is hard. And so I want to talk about submission in this podcast, but I am going in a different direction, probably in a direction, one that you didn't anticipate, possibly that you have not heard before. You may have got a hint by this by the, when I mentioned the title of the podcast. Again, it's episode 108. The title of it is The Critical Call on Men to Submit. I have an infographic here as well, and so if you want to go to these show notes, I would encourage you to do that, and you can grab this infographic, and you can use it. You can look at it. You can share it if you want to. And you can use this podcast as an explanation of the infographic. I also have some other notes here as well that you can use that will help explain the graphic. But let me get into this. A wife's call to submission mirrors the husband's call to submission. I think it's important for us to understand this. We talk about submission, and I promise you, I guarantee that virtually everybody that hears the idea of submission, they think about the person who who needs to submit, and it's usually children, it's usually women who need to submit, but they are not the only people who are called to submit. Husbands are called to submit as well. A wife's call to submission mirrors the husband's call to submission. In fact, I say that it would be hypocritical. It is hypocritical. If a husband demands that his wife submit and he does not submit himself, who does he submit to? He submits to God. And so a wife's call to submission mirrors the husband's call to submission as he submits to God which is evidenced by doing for his wife what his heavenly father does for him. Now that statement there is the main idea for this podcast. I want to unpack it, and I hope that this will help you. I hope that many husbands and wives will be able to talk about this and 
possibly if their marriage is not moving in the right direction or shaped in the right way, uh, that there can be some repentance so that both of them are submitting. She submits to him as he is submitting to God. Now, if your husband refuses to submit to God, you're still called to submit, but I don't, I'm not going to cover that in this podcast. I have other resources on our site that talk about how to submit when a husband refuses to submit because that's dangerous territory especially if the husband is abusive, especially if the husband is hurting his wife through various forms of abuse. But I can't go there in this podcast because I just don't have the time to tackle that issue. That's a wholly other issue. But both the husband and wife are called to submit. In the beginning, the male was Adam, and the higher authority was God. God made Adam in his image. He created Adam in his image, and Adam submitted to him. Adam joyfully and gladly, willingly submitted to God the Father. Now, the Father had a responsibility. God, the Lord, had a responsibility to give Adam or provide things for Adam. And there were two primary things that God provided for Adam. He gave uh, him a loving and safe environment for Adam to flourish. I think if you could talk to Adam in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, Genesis 3 is a different story. In Genesis 3, 6, where they partook of the forbidden fruit, and then the world was thrust into chaos and there was hostility between God and humanity. But prior to that, I think if you were to talk to Adam, he would tell you that, yes, God loves me and I feel safe. I feel loved and I feel safe in this environment that he created. And so the Father provided this context, which made it easy for Adam to submit to him. And then after God created Adam and gave him this context, the father said in 2.18, it's not good for Adam to be alone, so I'm going to make a helper that is suitable for him. And so the father created Eve, and she submitted to Adam. Now what we have here is the creation-submission construct. God is the authority figure. He created Adam. Adam submits to him. And then God created Eve, not for himself, but for Adam, because it was not good for Adam to be alone. And so now we have a hierarchy, God the Father, and then under that is Adam, and then under that, under that is Eve, the wife. And so we have a hierarchy of human relationship. Now, please understand, I think you know this, but I'm going to say it anyway, There is a hierarchy within relationships, but then there is also an equality. The husband is not better than the woman in any any way. The parents aren't better than the children in any way. All of them are made in God's image. And so on one level and one way of thinking about things, there is equality. That's why we are pro-life. This child that is conceived is made in the image of God. That's why we are not racist, because uh, people that are different from us are made in the image of God. So there is equality. 
But in order for the world to function, there has to also be hierarchy that doesn't take away from equality, but it gives us submission context in order for the world to function in a proper way. And so we have employers and employees, we have civil authorities and the rest of us, we have fathers and mothers and children, we have husbands and wives, we have school teachers and students, and we have these structures all over the place, and, and that's great. It doesn't take away from equality, but it gives us a way to live in an ordered way. And so what we have is the Father and Adam and Eve. Now, here's the thing. God was doing something special for Adam. As I said, he, gave, he loved Adam. He gave him a loving environment, and he protected Adam. Adam was safe. Can you imagine what it, be, what it would be like to be in the Garden of Eden at that time, you would feel immensely loved. We will have that experience when sin is no more and we are with God in eternity. We will feel these things without the tentacles of, of guilt and shame and fear and hiding behind fig leaves, which is a part of our fallenness now post-Genesis 3.6. But just trying to imagine what it was like to be in the garden with God the Father feeling love, experiencing his love, God is love, and experiencing his protective care. And that is what Adam was receiving, and Adam was submitting to that. And then he created the woman for Adam. Now, it's Adam's responsibility to do for his wife what the Lord was doing for him. Basically, two things, to provide a loving and safe environment for her to flourish, if Adam is going to image God well, one of the most effective ways that he can image God is by doing for the wife what God is doing for him. Now, there are many other things that the father did for Adam, but I think you will find that all of those things, whatever they were, were within these two parameters. Number one, his great love for Adam, and number two, his protective care of Adam. Those are the two primary things that all of us need in order to flourish well in, in God's world. The question that we ask God, will you love me? Will you be safe? Will I be safe if I follow you? Those are huge questions. And, and by the way, God has answered those questions for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son because of this great love that God has, has provided for us through the death and resurrection of Christ. We can now be born again and experience the love of God in immeasurable ways. That, that is joy inexpressible. And because we have eternal security that we are adopted and justified, not based on our works, for by grace we have been saved, and at some future date we'll have a glorified body and we'll be eternally safe with him, we will experience those things in reality in the future, though we can experience, in, experience, experience them in an echo way. Now, the love of God and the protective care of God. 
And those two things are important. Adam and Eve were different, but the things they wanted were the same, to be loved and to be protected. Adam was made by God and instinctively drawn to God. Eve came out of the man and was naturally drawn to him. And so it was Adam's turn to do for Eve what God did for him to love and protect his bride. He had a responsibility to image his creator in a similar way in which he had experienced him. And that leads to a couple of questions for husbands. Let's talk to husbands right now, but I also want to talk to fathers as well because the podcast is titled, again, it's episode 108, The Critical Call on Men to Submit whether that man is a husband or whether that man is a father. If you are a husband or a father, you're in this hierarchy, you're in this hierarchical structural context where there are people submitted to you, subordinate to you, whether it be children or your wife. But husband, let me ask you this. You're married. How are you imaging the love of God to your wife? That to me, from a husband's perspective, is the more important question to ask. All too often, I've been doing counseling for a long time, and I can tell you that most of the time when a husband talks about or thinks about this idea of leadership and submission within the marriage, what he wants to talk about is is his wife and her unwillingness to submit or her need to submit or her call to submit. Now, those things are true, but if we're going to take Jesus's teaching in Matthew 7, 3, 4, and 5 about addressing the log in our eye and the speck in the other individual's eye, well, it applies here. And so if we're talking about submission, then where we want to start is with the log in our eye. I'm not ignoring the speck. I'm not ignoring her call to submit. But let's address the log. That's what I'm doing here in this podcast, episode 108. And so the question is, how are you imaging the love of God to your wife? You want her to submit to you. See, here's the thing that you have to understand. Your wife, she is submitting to you and willing to follow you all the days of your life. What if you turn the tables around and say for just a moment in your imagination that you were the wife and you were called to follow a man all the days of your life. I think there would be at least two important questions that you would want to ask. Question number one is, well, will you, will you love me? <laughs> will you love me? I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. Can you give me assurances that you're going to love me? You're not going to be harsh and unkind and mean and all of those things. The second question is, will it be safe? Will it be safe if I hook my wagon up to you? You would be asking those questions. I know I would be asking those questions. We do that with our employers. I mean, is this going to be a safe, kind, gracious environment, or am I going to get the boss from Hades? Many of us have had the boss from Hades, and and, and we left those jobs because it was not a loving environment. And it was not a safe environment because we want to be protected. We don't want to have all that nonsense going on in, the, in our jobs. Well, in our marriages, our wives are asking the same question. And so I ask, how are you imaging the love of God to your wife? And the second question is, how are you imaging the protective care of God to your wife? Those are the two things that God gives you. Remember, you're submitted to him and God loves you and God protects you. 
It's your job, Adam. It's your job to provide that to her. To be loved and to be protected are the two conditions that will motivate any wife to submit to her husband. It is the exceptional wife. It is the outlier. It is the rare wife who is unwilling to submit and unwilling to to follow her husband, usually there, there's a cause and effect here. And in, in the overwhelming number of cases, it's because, now I'm not justifying the wife's lack of submission. Don't hear that. Don't upload that into what I'm saying. But I'm addressing the, excuse me, I'm addressing the log in our eyes. And there is a cause and effect almost all the time. There are other situations where women come into marriages and because of their relationship with their fathers, I'm going to talk about that in just a moment, but because of their relationship with their fathers, they have a hard time submitting. Now, it's imperative for a husband to understand that, to understand where his uh, new wife came from and and the shaping influences into her life that it makes it hard for her to submit. She may want to, but she may be afraid to because she was abused. I had a woman tell me that. Well, I've had more than one, but the most radical case of that was a woman who said every time she thinks of the word father, she is terrified because of what her father did for her. She has a very hard time submitting to male authority figures and she came, she, she came into adulthood that way. But to be loved and protected are two conditions that will motivate any wife to submit to her husband almost every time. If there are exceptions, you need to understand the exceptions. What happened to her? Why is she this way? If you poke around long enough, you will find out the shaping influences in her life or probably in many cases traumatic, and it makes it hard for her to submit. If you don't believe that a, woman, a woman's desire to be protected and a woman's desire to be loved, if you don't believe that is real, then I would appeal to you to talk to your wife about what, I, what I've just said here. Let her listen to this podcast and ask her if these things are true. Ask her the importance of these two things from you to her. Your wife, again, is being asked to do something rather profound, to give up her individual life, to blend into you, to become one flesh, and to follow you for the rest of your life. And as I said, if it were me, I would want to know, I would want two assurances. Will you love me? Will you protect me? Now, I want to transition this uh, to children, to fathers and, and children, and the key idea that I want to communicate to you is that the picture of a child's father presents, that, that the, the picture a child's father presents is the earliest ideas that the child will have of God the Father. If a father is not submitting to God, as evidenced by providing protective care and affectionate love for his children, they'll have a hard time submitting to God or relating well to others. In Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point, he talked about this idea, which is not original with him. He is just sharing his perspective on this idea of mutual exclusivity. 
And what he's talking about is how when a child begins to learn language, they do not have the ability, in fact, it's not helpful for them to attach a singular label to multiple ideas. Let me read a quote to you, and then I'll explain a little bit, but I think it'll make sense to you. A quote from Malcolm Gladwell from his book, The Tipping Point. He says in this quote, preschoolers make a number of assumptions about words and their meaning as they acquire language. One of the most important of which is what psychologist Ellen Markman calls the principle of mutual exclusivity. Simply put, this means that small children have difficulty believing that any one object can have two different names. The natural assumption of children, Markman argues, is that if an object or a person is given a second label, then that label must refer to some secondary property or attribute of that object. You can see how useful the assumption is to a child faced with the extraordinary task of assigning a word to everything in the world. A child who learns the word elephant knows with absolute certainty that it is something different from a dog. An elephant is an elephant. This is what an elephant is, and it can't be anything else. Each new word, Gladwell says, makes the child's knowledge more precise. Without mutual exclusivity, by contrast, if a child thought that elephants could simply be another label for dog, then each new word would make the world seem more complicated. This is important when it comes to child rearing. And so when a child learns what a father is, they have a label, a label is for an idea, and that idea is for the person, the big person in the room, their father. And they know what a father is because they have a father. And so when they are introduced to this other father, God the Father, they already have a label for that. That label is the picture that they have been observing and experiencing all of their young lives. And so children think about God the Father the way that they think about their father. That's how it works almost all the time. And I have experienced this idea over and over again in counseling where children are now adults and they have a hard time relating to God because they have this powerful image that has been impressed upon them, their earthly fathers who were not good representations of God the Father, which is why it is hugely important for earthly fathers to imitate God. And two of the most profound ways you can imitate God is by providing a loving environment for this child and making this child feel safe. Again, it's episode 108. There's an infographic here that you can look at the title of this is The Critical Call on Men to Submit, to Submit to God as Evidenced by Providing a Loving and Protective Environment, either for their children or for their wives. Now, I have a call to action here, and there's a list of six questions. There's two sets of questions, six each. 
There are six questions for the dad, and there are six questions for a husband. I want to ask these questions here to give you something to think about and a way to self-assess to see how you're doing, and it could be a wonderful opportunity for dads to repent, for husbands to repent. It could be a fantastic opportunity for discussions to happen between parents, fathers and mothers, between husbands and wives, maybe even bringing your children in to these discussions depending on your on their ages. But let's start with the dads. Here are six questions for you. And I'm going to ask these questions about your little girl. They would apply to boys as well, but we're talking about women submitting, whether it's a little girl submitting or that girl grows up to be a wife who is called to submit. And so, Dad, is your little girl profoundly aware of your affection for her? A straightforward question. Is your little girl profoundly aware of your affection for her? It is so important that she knows that you love her and you should be exporting the love of God, the the love that God gives you, you should be exporting to her in this hierarchical structure. Number two, does she know that no matter what happens, she will always be protected, safe, and secure because of your undeniable love for her? Question three, is she more aware of your encouragement of her or your displeasure with her? Number four, are you daily repenting of the things that blur the image of God the Father to her? This is so huge because we are not perfect. But the good news is we have an escape plan. We have a, we have a way of cleaning up our messes. It's the doctrine of repentance. The only people in the world who can do this are Christians. We can clean up our messes and we can restore that image that we're presenting to our children. Are you daily repenting repenting of the things that blur the image of God the Father to her? Number five, how does she view God the Father? Do you know? It would be an interesting question, especially if she's old enough to, ask, uh, to answer that question. Number six, are you aware of the theological filter that you gave her, the one in which she sees God the Father? All right, here are six questions for the husband as we wrap up the podcast here. Does your wife experience daily cherishing and nourishing from you? To cherish means to warm, and to nourish means to grow. It's right out of Ephesians 5. Does your wife experience that from you? Number two, are you aware of her secret thoughts that may be bringing division into your marriage? that you guys are you're entering into her world and allowing her to enter into your world and you are assimilating as one flesh and that you're discussing these discussing these things that could be hindering your relationship with her. Number 3, will you ask her to talk to you about how she feels and experiences your love for her? Number 4, will you ask her to speak to you about how she feels and experiences your protective care? Those are two huge questions, by the way. How do you experience my love for you? How do you experience my protective care? I want to provide for you in a human way what God is providing for me. He loves me, protects me, and I want to export that to you, dear wife. Number five, where does she rank rank on your list of priorities? That will communicate loudly how much you love her and how safe she is. 
Your computer may be safe if a fire happens, but I'm not sure if my wife will. Where does she rank on your list of priorities? Number six, how are you helping her to keep from taking her desire for love and protection and turning it into a need that drives her to sin? I've seen this so often in in marriage situations that have gone into a dysfunctional place. Now, again, I'm not justifying her actions. She's not right for taking her desire for protective care and love and turning it into sin and going to other places to be satisfied. That is not right. But again, in this podcast, all I'm doing is examining the log in our eyes, me as a father, me as a husband, you as a father and a husband, if you are those things. If you are a guy who's thinking about getting married, this would be hugely important for you. If I can answer any questions that you may have pertaining to this podcast, I would love to do that. Episode 108, The Critical Call on Men to Submit. We must submit to God and then export that humble submission to our wives and our children, our little boys, our little girls, so they can see a a wonderful image of God the Father and, and our wives can experience the love of God, not only from him, but also from us. If I can answer any of your questions, please uh, ask them. It would be a joy to do that. Go to rickthomas.net, jump on our forums, and we will be there. Thank you so much for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.